Let's get into the Word of God here, Psalm chapter 17, entitled The Message of Prayer, David. And uh, indeed, we're going to talk about this prayer that David lifted up before the Lord and talk about prayer. And I think this prayer and what David was praying about is very pertinent to us today. And I think we're going to get greatly encouraged by this word. Uh, we're we're going to get exhorted. I think it's going to really help equip us in our prayer life. And this is my prayer this morning, if you've grown stagnant in your prayer life, that this morning it gets kick-started again through the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God. Uh, because, man, we, we need to be a people about His business, and a big part of that is being a people of prayer. Uh, let's start by reading the first five verses of this, and then we'll just kind of set the table for it, and then, then jump here and go verse by verse and see what God has for us. Again, a prayer of David. Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Let my vindication come from your presence. Let your eyes look on the things that are upright. You have tested my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me and have found nothing. I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, by the word of your lips, I have kept away from the paths of the destroyer. Uphold my steps in your paths, that my footstep may not slip. Now again, notice here, it starts with, uh, a prayer of David. And there's five psalms that start like this, a prayer of. Three of them are ascribed to David. One, we don't know the, the, the writer, and then another is ascribed to Moses. We know that all the psalms, though, are rooted in prayer and worship. This one in particular, though, it's, you know what, the, the Holy Spirit made a point to move to tell us specifically it is a prayer of David. And as we look at David's life in the psalms, in First and Second Samuel, indeed, we see that he was a man of prayer, he was a man that prayed often, and David was a man that understood the power of prayer. David understood the things that could be accomplished through prayer, through going before the Lord. And I want to start as we lay a table for this, and we'll, we'll touch on some of these things as we get deeper into the psalm, but just by way of encouragement, maybe this will even meet you where you are today in a circumstance or a situation, I just want to quickly just touch on some of the things that come forth from prayer. Uh, some real basic things, we looked at these things often, and these things are throughout the Word of God, but sometimes we just need that simple reminder and so forth, and I think it's, uh, it, it's good for what we're going to look at this morning. But David understood that through prayer, we have opportunity to worship the Lord, which is really our highest calling. Think about Jesus there in Matthew chapter 6, the disciples come to Jesus, and they ask Him to teach them to, prayer, to pray, and, and is there any better teacher than Jesus to teach us to pray? And notice how Jesus told them to pray. And he starts with this. He said there in Matthew 6, 9, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, prayer is an act of worship. And as we pray, let's start with worshiping the Lord. There's no greater, higher, no greater or higher call in our life. Also through prayer and along lines of worship, we, we give thanks to God through prayer. Uh, Colossians 4, 2, Continue earnestly in prayer. Be vigilant in it with thanksgiving. And let's not be a people that grow hard in our hearts, but indeed, we're thankful to the Lord for all things. Uh, you want to keep your heart soft? This morning, we're going to talk about these individuals that were coming against David, and really the cause of the Lord, and their hearts were harder. They grow callous to the things of God. And I'll tell you, a remedy or a way to combat that is thankfulness before the Lord. And David understood that. Listen, through prayer, we cast our cares upon them. And oftentimes David had prayer, uh, cares, and so he knew, I'm going to bring this before the Lord. First Peter 5, 6, therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. It's a picture of entering into prayer under the hand of God. We'll see this morning, it talks about the shadow of the Lord's wing, that he may exalt you in due time. And notice here, under the shadow of his wing or under his mighty hand, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. And so the Lord wants us to enter in and to lay those things down. Uh, an effect, an, an opportunity we have through prayer to lay down our yoke and take up his that's light and easy. Uh, David understood as well that through prayer we can intercede for others. And we have people in our life that we're concerned for, that we care about. I, I hope all of us have a concern for our nation right now and, and what's going on in it. Indeed, we're living in perilous times. And there's something that we can do that's even more effective than us just sitting around and talking about it. Can, can you believe that? We, we can talk to God about it. 1 Timothy 2.1, therefore I exhort first of all that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Let's, let's be found interceding for our children and for our spouses and again for our fellowship, 
for, for our pastor, by all means, please. Uh, and, and again, David got this. Uh, through prayer as well, spiritual strongholds are broken down. And this morning in our text, we're going to see David praying concerning men of this world that have their portion in this life. And the flesh is always opposed to the things of the spirit. But we got to understand these men of the world whose portion is in this life, there is a demonic element behind that. These folks that don't know the Lord, we're told in 1 John 5.19 that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And David understood and we're taught in scripture as we learn about spiritual warfare there in Ephesians 6 where it says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood of the powers and principalities. It goes on to talk about the armor of God and then our weaponry which is the word of God and, through, and prayer. And through prayer those things get broken down. And our prayer shouldn't just be protect us from those things. It should be, Lord, go forth and tear those things down, those strongholds. Get them ripped down, these blinders on eyes that keep people from coming to Christ. These strongholds in my own life that at times stumble me and so forth. Uh, Again, David understood that when we pray, uh, battle is done in the heavenlies. And again, listen, through prayer, all this and so much more is accomplished. And all this and so much more is availed. James 5.16, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. But sometimes we're guilty of treating prayer as something that avails little because we don't engage in it as we should. We don't heed that call to be a people who pray without ceasing as we have been called to. Too many times we ignore the testimony and the example of Jesus Christ, who though he was God on earth while being man on earth, Jesus oftentimes, and I think these are just the times we read about it, Jesus will leave the crowd to go and do what? To pray. And at times we would see him praying all night. There in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's about to go bear the sins of the world upon himself. What do we find him doing? We find him praying, asking the Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, let your will be done and not my will be done. So David understood this. He understood the power of prayer. Also consider this. In 1 Samuel 13, 14, David is called a man after God's own heart. Now, Saul had been king, and Saul had hardened his heart to the Lord and began to seek after false gods, began to seek counsel from demons and through means of witchcraft and so forth. Uh, he wasn't following the counsel of God. And so God went to uh, Samuel and told him, I'm going to tear the kingdom from him. And then God said, I'm going to give it to a man whose heart is after me. And we know that man would be David. And see, this morning, I would hope as a follower of Jesus Christ, I would hope that each of us would want that title a man or a woman after God's own heart. I, I would hope that, that we would desire to, to be described by that. If the Lord were asked, well, who is this person? That he would say, they're after my own heart. Can we say amen to that? There's no way that can be said of us, though, if we are a people that pray little. And listen, I don't say this to put a heavy yoke on us. This isn't a legalistic thing. This isn't to... To, to burden us down with something we need to go and do. But this is to show us that we have a high call to enter into the Holy of Holies to that veil that's been torn in two by the blood of Jesus Christ, to enter into fellowship with Him, uh, with that understanding of all that prayer avails. But it's really in the prayer closet where we get close to the Lord, where we get intimate with Him. Yes, Bible study is part of this. We learn of the Lord. We learn of the God of the Word through the Word of God. And that, that is part of this equation as well. But let's not be found just being a bunch of church people going through motions and such. And listen, there's good things that come out of those motions at times. But let's be found in people really growing in the Lord and really having relationship. And I think it's sometimes easy to lose sight of God in the midst of doing God's work. And that indeed is, it's, it's possible for that to happen. And David was called the man after God's own heart because he was a man of prayer. Now again, in this prayer, we already kind of touched on it. David is addressing the Lord in regards to men of this world 
whose portion was in this life. And in that, they were a people under the sway of the enemy who were dead set on coming against the things of God and coming against David, who most likely at this point was in exile against Saul, who had been anointed to be the next king of Israel. And remember, it's to the nation of Israel that God promised the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And so these enemies against David were really enemies of the Lord and enemies of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're told clearly in Scripture that those things will not decrease, but the Scripture says that evil men will increase deceiving and being deceived, and they're going to grow worse and worse. I think we really see that in this world that we're living in today. In the midst of people still getting saved, I mean, I'm just, I'm just so encouraged, even in the last few weeks, just a number of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ, professing the Lord Jesus Christ. God delays His coming because He's not wanting any to perish. And so there's a remnant being added to in the midst of growing hostility against the things of the Lord. Therefore, we really need to take this psalm to heart to encourage us and to help equip us. Now, again, we read the first five verses. Let's go back here to verse one. David says, Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Now, a just cause is a cause that is morally right. It is a cause that is in accordance to God's word, not in accordance to man's morals. It is a cause that is, that is in the boundaries of the word of God. It is not coming before the Lord and saying, um, Lord, I want you to bless my, uh, my way. It's not coming before the Lord saying, Lord, I really want you to bless my adulterous relationship, uh, my fornication, my crooked business dealings, my lying tongue. And you may say, well, that's a no-brainer, but actually I don't think it's a no-brainer because I'm amazed at how many times even in the course of being a pastor the last 20 years that people have come, asked, come up to me and they ask for prayer and they begin to describe their situation and they, they say, I want God's blessing on this. And I have to say, well, well, time out. You're asking for God to bless something that's sinful. You're, you're asking God to bless something that's outside of his boundaries. And God doesn't hear a, an unjust cause. God does not respond to deceitful lips, so to speak. And, and we need to get under the word of God and get this laid down before God. And then we can bring your situation before him. And David's in a place where he's saying, hear this just cause, O Lord. Now, we're going to see in a minute here in verse 3 that David had really wrestled with this before the Lord. David had asked the Lord to test him. David had wrestled with this uh, throughout the, the, the midnight hours, so to speak. Even in the midst of these enemies of the Lord, these men of the world who have their portion in this life that are set on building their things here and set on doing things their own way outside of the boundaries of God. Even in the midst of that and in the midst of them opposing uh, David, a man of God, he was still sure to bring that before the Lord, because we're going to see in this psalm that David knew himself. And David could easily deceive himself. And David had gone before the Lord and said, Lord, if there's any logs in my eyes, please get them out. And I think it's very important for us to exercise that as well, because unfortunately at times in life, there's going to be conflict with others. Have, have you experienced that at all? And oftentimes in the midst of that, we want to be found standing in the, the side of uprightness or righteousness. Rarely, though, is it the case where there's not blame to go all the way around. Even in a maybe 90-10% situation, let's make sure we deal with that 10% in our own life, amen? That we go before Him and we say, yes, Lord, I've been sinned against and these things have happened by men of this world that have their portion in this life that want to shun the counsel of the word of God and for whatever reason, whatever justification want to walk in this manner that, that wages war against the things of their spirit. But there's a 10% here that needs to be dealt with. And the Lord might even show you there's actually 15% or 20% or whatever it is. And it's really a shame because really what David's going through here is a, is a trial, a tribulation. If we don't ask the Lord to examine our own hearts, then we're going to go through that trial having not grown through the Lord, within the Lord. 
And, and whether we have part in the conflict or we're just in the midst of the fire and you know what, God knows the truth of those things. We're going to be way better off not standing in our own righteousness, but standing in the righteousness of the Lord and being honest with God in the midst of it, just saying, Lord, I, I'm asking you to do a work in my life and burn out whatever needs to get burned out. When the fire comes, sometimes we're quick to find the fire extinguisher versus saying, Lord, burn it all away. Get wood, hay, and stubble out of my life because I am just a man of the flesh that needs to be found growing in you as well. Now notice as well here, he says, give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. And, and already touched on it, but we need to know that absolutely sin hinders our prayer. Especially when it's sin that we know and sin that we're standing in, an, an, an unrighteous position that we are taking and justifying. And, and at times we can be guilty of saying, well, it's okay for me because I have a special place for the Lord. So the rules really don't apply to me in this situation. I can handle it differently. And the counsel I give to myself or those around me, it's justified because of our situation versus understanding, listen, there's no partiality with God. And his counsel is the same across the board. And we can't come before him saying, but we'll fudge the books for us because our situation is a little bit different than everyone else's psalm 66 18 says if i regard iniquity in my heart the lord will not hear but isaiah 66 2 says on him who is poor and contracts on, on and of contrite spirit who trembles at his word this one i will look and i think this is where we can come before him because sometimes maybe we fully don't even know where we are in the whole thing and we can just say lord listen hear my prayers lord you see what's going on, you see how I'm looking at this, how I'm trying to do honestly in this, and I've gone through this, Lord, and, 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 and I, I feel according to your word, I am, have a just cause, but I know myself. And so, Lord, grant me grace and mercy in this as well, and if there's things that need to be exposed to me in the midst of asking for you to bless this just cause, also get out of me what needs to be gotten out of me. Now notice verse 2, let my vindication come from your presence. Let your eyes look on the things that are upright. Vindication means to be proven right. And vindication comes through prayer and yielding to God. Again, first dealing with the log in our own eye. And then coming before the Lord and asking God to vindicate us versus man's effort to defend himself and rally people around himself. Have you ever been guilty of wanting to vindicate your position by getting people around you and going and talking about the situation and building a contingency of individuals that agree with you? That's not where vindication comes from. Vindication comes from only God Almighty because only God Almighty knows every nook and cranny of the situation. And I'll tell you, knowing every nook and cranny of the situation Vindication will only come through being under the shed blood of Jesus Christ because you bring out every nook and cranny, there's going to be some ugliness found with all of us in just about every situation. Remember, this was a time most likely when David was in exile against Saul and Saul had brought forth many false accusations against David. A man of prayer, a man after God's own heart. He had accused him of being a rogue. He had accused him of being a glory hound. He had accused him of wanting to overthrow the throne and so forth. And yet you never see David striving to defend himself or rally people around him to make him feel better about his situation. Saul did that. Saul, if he found anyone for his own use, would take him for himself because he felt like the more people we get in our corner, the more we're justified. Look at our big group over here. And we all agree that David's a rogue, therefore David is a rogue because we've agreed. That's not vindication. Jesus Christ was accused of so much. He was like a lamb to the slaughter, and yet we never saw him defending himself. But see, in both of these cases, they were vindicated because later David was made king. That's called vindication. And Jesus Christ was raised from the grave, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Let the Lord vindicate you. Let your eyes look on the things that are upright. It goes along with, again, the Lord hearing the prayer of a humble and contrite heart. 
And I know the only way our heart can be upright before Him is, first of all, having a relationship and salvation through Jesus Christ, and then going before Him with a heart yielded, a heart of honesty, and a heart that is humble and contrite. Now again, verse 3, and we've kind of touched on it already. He says, you have tested my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me and found nothing. I have purpose that my mouth shall not transgress. David had wrestled with this with the Lord. Even though, again, men of this world whose portion is of this life were coming against him with full force, he still wrestled with this before the Lord. No doubt asking, Lord, is there part of me that does want to overthrow the kingdom? Am I a rogue? Show me, Lord. Wrestling with it throughout the night. And I'll tell you, if every situation, if you're always in the place of, well, I'm upright because I am me, that's a problem. Because all of us outside of Christ have a sin nature. And boy, all of us outside of the Lord can easily, again, add fuel to a situation. To the own, our, own, our own flesh, nature, and so forth. Think about Esau. He was a man of the world. He never wrestled with God. He sought for forgiveness with tears, but he didn't find it because they weren't tears of repentance. They were tears of, oh, I might not get my inheritance. Again, a man whose portion was of this life. Jacob, on the other hand, went and wrestled with the Lord throughout the night. And finally, when he came to that place of brokenness, when he realized, I am Jacob, a hill catcher, he just held on to the Lord and said, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. I got to cleave to you. You better be my refuge because in me, there's problems here. When was the last time you wrestled with them throughout the night? And then he says, you have tried me and found nothing. I have purpose that my mouth should not transgress. And this is where David knew himself. David knew that every tongue, especially in a place where you feel like you're justified, there's a temptation to want to sin with your mouth to badmouth the other party, and to exalt yourself. It's easy to sin with your, temp- your tongue, again, especially in these situations where you feel like perhaps you're justified because of the wrong being done to you. And the position, so to speak, of the other party who you can grossly see is outside of the boundaries of the Lord. James 3, 5, even so the tongue is a little member and boasts of great things, and sometimes we're boasting in our righteousness. Yes, they're this, and now I'm boasting in who I am. Who are we? What do we have to boast in except the cross of Calvary? And then Jesus counseled us with this. But I say to you here, this is Luke 6, 27, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who spitefully use you. Not thou shalt talk smack and defend thyself, and gather others around for your cause so we can say, we're the righteous group over here. Verse 4, concerning the works of men by the word of your lips, I've kept away from the path of the destroyer. I think this are two ways of looking at this. Concerning the works of men, and David was a man. And the works of men here speaks of those things outside of the boundaries of God. So concerning those works by the word of your lips or the counsel of God's word, I've kept away from the path of destroyer because when we wander off into those works, the destroyer does some damage. And so he says, by your word, I've kept away from the works of men. Think of Psalm 119.11, your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So in the temptation of going out and exercising the works of men, through your word, through your counsel in my heart, I've been kept from that. And that's why it's so important we have God's word continually being put in our hearts and we're standing in it. The other side of this, and probably the more accurate one in the context here, is by the word of your lips, I've kept away from the path of the destroyer. And we have to understand there is a time to witness and share the gospel, and are you ready for this? There is a time to walk away. Don't fall into that trap when you're sharing Christ with someone where it turns into an argument 
or you're dealing with someone who has a clear unbiblical situation where it comes down to though I'm going to win the argue or I'm going to argue and I'm going to argue my position and argue them into truth or argue them into repentance because it doesn't work that way. And all of a sudden, it's not about that person. It's about winning the argument. And you got to be careful because in the midst of that, it's very easy to be found in the place where you're actually just hitting a hornet's nest with a stick. Proverbs 22, 3, this is counsel from God. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple passes on and are punished. When David was in exile, there were times when he was in a cave, hiding from Saul, not as a coward, but as a man who heeded the counsel of God's word. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 6, do not give what is holy to the dog, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. There's going to be times when you take the truth of God's word to individuals or an individual that will not be received and they want to turn and begin to trample you. You've delivered the truth. You've shared the truth. Now it's time to turn and walk away and commit them to the Lord in prayer no matter how it's perceived by those around you. And say, this is in the hand of God. I have addressed this biblically. I have brought the counsel of God's word. It's not being received. Is it creating a hostility? And now it is time to commit this to the Lord Jesus Christ. And however that is translated, however that is see, uh, saw, seen, however that is perceived, again, we got to wrestle with the issue before the Lord and make sure our heart's right with God and then say, God, God's going to vindicate me. This will all come out. And again, all the while, Lord... If there's something I'm not seeing, please show me. Verse 5, uphold my steps in your path that my footsteps may not slip. Again, David understood the importance of being in God's path. Walking within the boundaries of Scripture, knowing that there's solid footing there. Jeremiah 6.16, thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it, then you'll find rest for your souls, the word of God. And then it goes on to talk about those that shun that, but they say we will not walk in, and it talks about the chastisement of the Lord. And David says, I want to be in the path of the Lord where there is good footing. And notice here, he asked for the Lord to help him. Because David again knew that he had wandering feet. And we all have wandering feet. And don't make the mistake in the midst of having a just cause that you start thinking you're justified in whatever you do because you're the poor persecuted one in the midst of this matter. Therefore, you have freedoms and liberties that you don't find given in the scripture that you begin to walk in and cleave to. We need to ask for the Lord's help. The Lord taught us in Matthew 6, 13, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Again, as he's teaching us to pray. Let's read 6 through 10. I've called upon you, for you will hear me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my speech. Show your marvelous love kindness by your right hand. O you who save those who trust in you from those who rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wing. For the wicked who oppress me from my deadly enemies who surround me, they have closed up their fat hearts with their mouths they speak proudly. David has prayed and noticed what he set on doing. He set on continuing to pray. I called upon you, for you will hear me. O oh God, incline your ear to me and hear my speech. So in other words, I've prayed and you've heard me. Now continue to hear me because I'm going to continue to pray. Too many times we say, well, I prayed. Now I'm going to go do A, B, C, and D. And what it really should be, I prayed. And now as I do A, B, C, and D, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep praying. Not just about the situation, but through it. Verse 7, again, show your love marvelous. And I love this. It's not just love kindness. Your marvelous love kindness by your right hand. And indeed, God has done that through the cross of Calvary. He's shown us his marvelous love kindness, all of us. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his own love towards us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than now, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Listen, outside of Christ, we're all under the wrath of God in our sin. 
that God sent His Son while we were sinners to take the wrath to us upon the cross of Calvary. He conquered the wages of our sin when He rose again from the grave, that if any would humble their hearts and ask Christ to be the Lord, there is salvation from that wrath through Him. That's marvelous love kindness, amen? From the right hand of God or from the power of God. And then He says, you save those who trust in you from those who rise up against them. And again, death, Satan, sin, Hades was raised up against us because of our sin, but God has saved us from those things. And even in the midst of perilous times, as it says in 2 Timothy 3.12 and 13, I read this often, but it says, yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil men and impostors will go worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, so even more so than in this time of David, Notice what it says, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and be assured of knowing from whom you have learned them. So we continue to trust. We continue to walk in the counsel of God's word and we're assured by it. And then notice verse 8 again. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wing from the wicked who oppress me, from my deadly enemies who surround me. And, And we see a hostility. Deadly enemies, they wanted to cleanse the land of David they wanted to cut him off just as again as we see in this culture so many wanting to cleanse itself of the things of God and even those that would want to stand in the counsel of God wanting to oppress them wanting to subdue them wanting to rule over them wanting to grind them down saying things like well you know gay marriage won't hurt anybody we'll tell that to the bakers in Oregon you said I'm going to stand in my constitutional right to Freedom of religion, and therefore by my own conscience, I don't want to bake this cake for a gay wedding. And now their business is shut down, and they give a $150,000 fine or whatever it was. Does God love homosexuals? Yes. Did he die on the cross to save them? Yes. But does he love sin? No. Like grinding down, wanting to cut off the things of God and those that would stand in the counsel of God. But notice in the midst of this, we're the apple of his eye. Not because of us, because of him. Remember last week, Psalm 16:3, as for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. God says, we're all his delight. That, that, that's incredible. And how? Because we've been sanctified through faith in Jesus Christ and the Father delights perfectly in the Son. And when we are in the Son through faith, the Father delights perfectly in us. That's encouragement in the midst of all of these things going on. Encouragement to walk with the Lord and encouragement as well to not have a hardened heart towards those, as we'll read here, whose fats have grown, hearts have grown fat, but to know that the Lord loves these people too and wants to see them saved. Therefore, we need endurance to move forward in the things of the Lord. Notice here, hide me under the shadow of your wings. It's a picture of refuge found in prayer, refuge found in the Lord. And there's no other place that compares to that. Do you find yourself there often? How, when was the last time you were under the shadow of his wing? The last time in the midst of some circumstance, some situation that you said, listen, there's all these things that I can do, but first and foremost, I'm going to find myself under the shadow of the wing of the Lord, and I will remain there even in the things I go and walk in. I need to be in His refuge. Verse 10, they have closed up their fat hearts with their mouths they speak proudly. And this is a picture of a callous heart. They've hardened themselves to the knowledge of God that has been written upon their hearts. They've hardened their hearts to eternity that has been written on their hearts. They've hardened their hearts to the Holy Spirit that convicts men of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And notice here, they have done it. The Lord knocked and they said, no, I will close my heart to God Almighty. And this is why you need to know on Judgment Day, everyone who spends eternity in hell will be there because they chose to be there. They chose to harden their heart. They chose to close their heart to the Holy Spirit knocking on their hearts. They have closed up their fat hearts. 
And notice here, their mouth speaks proudly because the mouth speaks that which is in the heart. Listen here, 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Because we can say, oh yeah, that was interesting in the time of David. The scripture talks about an increasing amount of this. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter time, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits. And notice here, doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. This is the same thing, a fat heart, a seared conscience. How? They're led by not the Holy Spirit, but deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. This is why doctrine is so important. This is why teaching God's Word is so important. Another place, it talks about shunning doctrine and the Word of God to heap up teachers to tickle their ears. And people say, well, that really doesn't do any damage. They still love the Lord. You know, they'll get some meat in the midst of those bones. No. Doctrines of demons and teachings outside of God's Word callous people's hearts to the living God and the truth of God's Word. And when you begin to see the church behaving just like the world and taking up the cause of the world, the cause of men of the world who have their portion in this life and standing with that versus the Word of God, it's a direct product of doctrines of demons being taught in pulpits. And I could go on and give several examples. All you have to do, though, is go and look around. And you see the, the church more and more looking exactly like the world. And again, that's not said to make us look better or we don't do that here. It's just addressing the issue. And it should be something that strikes a fear in our heart to say, let's make sure we're a people in the Word of God. And that we are honest before the Lord because that could be us very easily. And wanting to stand in truth, not only to give glory to God, but wanting to be a beacon of light to those that would say, listen, my heart's getting fat. I want to get right with the living God. Verse 11, they have now, and we'll take the rest, the rest five of these, the last five, just verse by verse. They have now surrounded us in our steps. They have set their eyes crouching down to the earth as a lion is eager to tear his prey. And like a young lion lurking in secret places. Notice here, that there, there's even more hostility and I think it addresses a growing hostility the, the flesh wars against the things of the spirit those whose portion is in this life they're under the sway of the wicked one and whether they know it or not they're in the midst of a spiritual battle and the flesh always wages a war against the spirit and as that becomes more and more of a of a, of a stance in a culture the more bold they get of saying let's surround these that want to walk in the truth of God's word and, and let's, set our, let's set our course on destroying them. And notice here, as a young lion is eager to tear his prey, and we think about 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I think that's a picture of the spiritual influencing the natural. Now, how does David respond to this again in prayer? Arise, O Lord, confront him, cast him down, deliver my life from the wicked with your sword and with your hand for men. What's David do? Lord, I need you. Lord, you arise in this. Lord, you be my defense. Lord, put me under the shadow of your wing. Lord, we need you. And listen, this needs to be our prayer day in the midst of all this stuff and the things going on that, that grieve your heart and the concerns you have. Are we finding ourselves under the shadow of the wings of the Lord saying, Arise, O Lord, in the midst of all of this chaos, in the midst of all of this confusion, in the midst of all these doctrines of demons, we turn to you that you would arise and do a fresh work in our own hearts and a fresh work in the midst of our community and this nation that desperately needs you. There is no other answer than that. Well, we'll get together and we're going to go have a rally. You know what? Fine, but let's make sure we pray before and during and even after it, saying, God, arise. You go forward, Lord. And of course, the reference to the sword, we think of the Word of God. And again, we go back to Ephesians 6. It talks about our weapons, prayer and the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. Again, with your hand for men, O Lord... And notice what it says here, for men of the world who have their portion in this life. 
and whose belly you fill with your hidden treasure. They are satisfied with children and leave the rest of their possession for their babes. So men of this world who have their portion in this life were dead set on wanting to destroy David. They were under the deception of the enemy and they were in a place where they were just living for the moment, living for pleasure, living for the here and the now. The Word of God speaks about You know, in the end times, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of self rather than lovers of God. Lovers of pleasure versus loving God. Only concerned with their next thrill, their next pleasure, with their next project. Never considering their latter end. And the longer that continues, the fatter or more callous the heart gets towards the things of God. This is why it says in Hebrews, if you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, don't harden your heart. Respond to him. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ and you say, yes, my portion is in this life, but you're hearing the gospel today and you know it's true. You need to respond because tomorrow you might not even have the ability to respond the way you can respond today. It talks about their children here. They are satisfied with children. They treat their children as gods. Just as they are people of the flesh, They raise their children to be people of the flesh. They appease their fleshly desires versus raising them up in the admonition of the Lord. And sadly, when it talks about their children inheriting their possessions, it's like giving your kid an anchor that's going to damn their soul. Now, we know there's exceptions in that. The sins of the father aren't the sins of the children, but... Boy, very easily the sins of the father can become sins of the children, especially when there's not an effort being made to rectify the situation. As one worldview or a worldview that is outside of God or, or fudge, so to speak, with the Bible slanting it, so oftentimes it's inherited by the next generation and The scripture says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he's also going to reap. And so oftentimes the case is, men of the world who have their portion in this life, they raise children that are children of this world that have their portion in this life. Verse 15, as for me, David brings us before the Lord. He says, as for me. And really, you know what? That's really who we're going to give an account for, me. You're going to give an account for yourself. That's them. That's the situation. I've wrestled with it before you, Lord. I bring the cause. I lay it before you. But as for me, and this is important because so many times people say, again, they measure themselves based on others. David's bringing this before the Lord. And then it's laid down, and again, there are portions in this world, we'll see he has an eternal perspective, but again, ultimately, he knows he has to give an account of his life before God. And make sure you're not finding your justification because of the sin of someone else, if that makes sense. Or your righteousness in the error of someone else. They did this, and I didn't participate in that, therefore I am righteous. He says, I will see your face in righteousness. And how could David say that in boldness? Because again, he had faith in the coming Messiah. And he knew he was in right standing with God through faith in the one who would come, who would lay down his life for his his sins, just as this morning. We know we have right standing with God and righteousness through faith in Christ who came and laid down his life for us. And it's not found in anything else. And notice here, I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. David had an eternal perspective versus men who have a temporary perspective, whose portion is in this life. I'm going to be satisfied. Again, men whose portion is in this life, they really don't even have satisfaction in this life. Because generally when your portion is in this life, the more stuff you get in this life, you don't own it, own it, it owns you, especially when it's your God. There's not a satisfaction in that, not an ultimate satisfaction. 
there can be an enjoyment in things, and, and, and you know what, we're, we're to give God glory first, but, you know, we spent this week scraping and caulking and painting and prepping this building. I remember the last time we did it 10 years ago. If the Lord tarries, maybe in 10 years we'll be doing it again. And there was a satisfaction in the fellowship. We had a wonderful time of fellowship, not just then, but all weekend. It's glorious. I mean, a couple of memorial services and so many people coming out and being a part and joyfully serving and praying and counseling and just being part of, of, of just the work of the Lord. And others I know wanting to be here, but for whatever reason couldn't and prayer and so forth and people with other things going on and such, but there's satisfaction in that, but, but in this stuff, it breaks down, but in eternity, there's going to be an eternal satisfaction in the Lord. You're never going to have to scrape and caulk your mansion in heaven. <laughs> I went to a Bible study when I first came to the Lord as a, as a man, and there was this old woman that led it. And she projected her righteousness and holiness to be above everyone else, and there was an individual there that had just come to the Lord, and she's like, oh, in glory, you're going to be the caretaker in my mansion. And I thought, that's my cue never to come back. I know I don't know a lot, but I know. Lady, if we went and started opening up the closets in this house, we're going to see some bones falling out. But on top of that, there will be no need of a caretaker in heaven. <laughs> There's going to be an eternal satisfaction in the Lord, and then even in the rewards of the Lord, it, it, it's... It's eternal, and, and the Lord, again, ultimately in this, wants us to have an eternal mindset, amen? To look pack, past the portion of this life. Let's stand up and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we bless you, we praise you, we give you glory and honor. We just need you, Lord. And Lord, in the midst of looking at this, you know, Lord, if we fell in the error at all of saying, yeah, I have this righteous cause, and the other group was unrighteous or whatever it is, Lord, I pray instead we'd be in a place where we would say, search me, O God, and know me. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any hurtful way in me. If there is, remove it. Lead me in the everlasting way. Can we say amen to that? Amen. Let us be found under the shadow of your wing. As we close, you've heard the gospel today. You've heard the bad news. We are sinners and under the wrath of God, but you've heard the good news that Christ came lived a sinless life, and has made the way of salvation for all who would repent and put their faith in Him, which is really one and the same. It's turning from whatever your faith is in to save you, whatever your God is, and you have one. Even if you say, I don't believe there's a God, well, you're putting your faith in your own doctrine that there is no God. It's turning from that to put faith in Jesus to be the Lord of your life, to govern you, to, to, to be your Lord, to come under His rule. The scripture says, whoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. Have you called on him? If you haven't, I, I urge you this morning, come before him. Ask him to cleanse you. Ask him to be your Lord. Ask him to be your savior. As we read, a humble and contrite heart, he will not refuse. And if that's you, you're calling on him. I encourage you to, to, to tell someone. There's many here who would love to pray with you and talk with you. We'd love to give you a Bible. Help you in your walk with Jesus. And that's what it is, a walk with Jesus. It's not a walk with Refuge Church. It could be a walk with the Lord in fellowship with people who love the Lord, but it's about Him, making Him your Lord and Savior. As we close in worship, if that's you, I just encourage you to, to call on Him. Let Him meet you where you're at. And let's lift our voices to Him as we close here.
God bless you in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I encourage someone before you leave today, you know, look to use those gifts that God has given you to build up others. Amen? Amen. God bless.